You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, I hope no home ground advantage is going to influence the way you perform on this podcast today. <laughs> I tell you what, I've got that in the notes here. We can hit it straight away. I thought it was pretty damn awesome to see the crowds over in WA. Maybe if you're a team that played one of those teams like I am, it, <laughs> you were feeling the heat a little bit, particularly in the fourth quarter. But geez, I, I tweeted it out, but 20,000 felt like 200,000 and both Fremantle and West Coast came from behind in the fourth quarter. Uh, it, it was exciting to see. It was really fun to see. And it's probably just another reminder of uh, how people in some parts of the country are doing a little bit different at the moment. Yeah, it's a, a definitely a, a very different vibe to what we're uh, going through here in Victoria, but it was awesome to see those results, and you mentioned both of the Western Australian teams coming back with big uh, big comeback victories uh, to get over the line, West Coast beating Geelong, and of course, the bigger upset would be, uh, I'd say that the upset in the West Coast-Geelong game is Geelong keeping mm-hmm. it that close, because we talked about it all week, uh, but Fremantle getting over the line there against Collingwood, and what is a huge win for them, and for uh, and really... Yeah, Chucks things a little bit into disarray in the competition, and for Collingwood, it's a it's a weird one for them after getting spanked by the Eagles last week. Yeah, Fremantle are going to be a, a team, and I, I said this prior to the game against Geelong last week as well. I think the weather was the only reason that that game was completely thrown on its head. But Fremantle have been competitive. Now they do have that true home ground advantage feel. You can tell it gives the team a little bit of energy, and I don't think Fremantle are in any position where they can uh, make the eight. I, I don't think that that's going to be the case, but in the next couple of weeks, they do have Carlton coming to town, and Carlton we'll touch on in a little bit as well. They blew a really good opportunity uh, on Friday night, but they're going to be tough. They're going to be tough to beat at Optus, uh, Optus Stadium. We don't know how many games they're going to get at home from there on out. And West Coast, <laughs> well, they're 6-3 and three now. They've won five in a row. They're back in the top four. Uh, listen, don't be surprised if they finish the season on top of the ladder again because they're going to come home with a wet sail. There's no doubt about that. They just look so powerful. And we saw, again, as, as we mentioned in the fourth quarter, uh, their forwards, second week in a row, Josh Kennedy, I thought he was well held throughout, but when it was crunch time, he stood up and he's had a couple of really good weeks here. Yeah, and that's, I think, was that the second time all season that a team's won after being down at three-quarter time, uh, that West Coast game? Uh, it might have been. Well, actually, I think it was the, it was, it would have been the second coming into this round, but we saw, was there another comeback we saw earlier in the week? I can't even remember what round it is, but West yeah, Coast definitely true. did it. West Coast definitely did it, and then also Fremantle did it. Both, so both both those yeah. teams did it. Yeah, so I think I think they're the second and third ones because all the other games okay. were yep. fairly large margins. So they were the second and third games of the season. We talked about those fourth quarter comebacks. Do you want to talk? Uh, do you want to talk Carlton now? Yeah, yeah, we can definitely get into the Blues. I think it's worth talking about because Carlton, of course, we. I've talked about them. They seem to be the team that when they play well, it's really exciting and people talk them up and get really excited. And I say, look, let's just see what happens. And then, yeah, big performance against Port with a loss, poor performance against North that was a win. This was the opportunity they had to win and they were up huge, like five goals to zero at the start. And then they stopped. And this is the opposite problem to what they've had earlier in the season where they just don't get going until the second quarter. 
That was a real weird one to see a Hawthorne team that struggled so much offensively to stop teams, to play ugly football, for a Hawthorne team to just roll the way they did. It was a really disappointing situation. And this Carlton team, inconsistency has been a problem all year and we saw it rear its head again. Yeah, I mean, the Blues getting a lead this season hasn't necessarily been a problem. I mean, I know we spoke really early in the season about the fact they were getting jumped out of the gates, but you think about some of their games since the season restart. Uh, Geelong, obviously, they had a huge lead, and Nelly gave that one up. Port Adelaide, big early lead, gave that up. North Melbourne last week, they looked like they're in a comfortable spot, and then Nelly blew that one in the fourth quarter. So I just wonder whether this is Carlton getting a lead, and I don't want to say being comfortable, but changing the way they play a little bit, because I thought at the 16-minute mark of the first quarter when Nunes kicked his second goal, and they were 31-0 to zero up. I thought this was playing out exactly the way that we hypothesized it might. Carlton looked like the team that had too much run, too much dash, too much attack. Hawthorne did not want to move the ball. And the pressure was overwhelming for the Blues. But once the game swung, I, I think Carlton is having some issues with only having one way that, that, to play that works. Yeah, And, and, and I, I've seen it through the year. As soon as the pressure is applied and they have to slow the ball down a little bit, to be honest, it hasn't looked like their skill level's been up to it. And I remember at the start of the season saying that I think Carlton's biggest problem, and going back to even round one way back in March against Richmond, was that they couldn't hit a target when they were under pressure. I think we've started to see that a little bit. When the game's free-flowing, when the game's open, when they're able to run from back line to forward line, and there's a little bit more room for error because the ball can hit the ground and they can run onto the loose ball, they look great. They look unbelievable. But when the game gets tight and they have to play the chip-around game and slow it down a little bit, uh, they don't look good at all. Yeah, and that's sort of what we can see by looking at the numbers from this one. Uh, you're looking at a team that, in so many of their wins, they have a kick to handball ratio of two, two plus. Uh, they were down at 1.5 here, and that is, to me, indicative of that when they get into those pressure situations and it's either the pressure on the midfielders or yeah, more closer checking further up the ground, that they can't do what they need to do, which is get the ball and kick it, and then they move into more of a handball situation, and then the skills become a little bit more cramped in, and even then the kicks they do have to execute aren't where they, they are. So they're in a spot when they're playing well, they're hitting kicks to open guys, and they're finding that space, and, and they're really just sort of dicing you up by foot because guys are open and there's no pressure. When that pressure comes in, they have to abandon the, the, the foot movement of the ball, move more to the hands, and then that pressure then adds up when they do have to move it forward that it's not going to be as effective. And that's pretty much what we saw play out on, on Friday. Yeah, turnovers in this game, 61 to 48. So Carlton plus 13 in turnovers. But that 61 number is is pretty remarkable because they only had 245 disposals for the game. So <laughs> roughly every four possessions uh, was a turnover, which obviously is not a good stat. And that wasn't the case early in the game. This was something that really... Uh, crept up on them as the game went forward. Sam Frost, Blake Hardwick, and James Sisley, 21 intercept possessions between them. So uh, Hawthorne, yeah, we haven't really seen them play with that type of attack. I, I know you've got Hawthorne in the rundown as well, so we can probably transfer and talk about them a little bit. But I didn't think they had it in them. I did not think that they had this comeback in them when they're down five goals uh, over in Perth, uh, admittedly against Carlton on a weird time, Friday afternoon almost, uh, over there in Perth. It seemed... To me, that this was going to be literally the end of the Hawks' season, and who knows what was going to happen in terms of selection, in terms of Clarko. It, I, I, it was looking like a disaster. 
Yeah, it was. And you see that, you know, it was like 31 to 1 or whatever it was at one point. And you go, geez, like that is, this is rough. This could be that one that we've talked about, the percentage booster that Carlton needed, the one they yeah. needed to stamp themselves down. You went, okay. And then you look up and it's just then goal and goal and goal. And looking at the scoreworm is a real exercise in what is going on in this game. Because this wasn't even a game where, you know, Jay Grimier only had 18 disposals. Like only two guys over 20 touches, a really low disposal sort of game, but really influenced by pressure and those turnovers. And when you are you're enforcing so many turnovers on your opponent, you don't need that many possessions because you're often getting the ball in such an advantageous position that you can just get it and uh, and put it straight into the Ford 50. And that's pretty much what we saw in this one. It was only a plus six inside 50 differential in favor of Hawthorne, but given, again, it's not always about number, it's about where those occur. And you know, when they're going at 74% goal kicking, it's uh, it's indicative, again, of getting the ball into the right spots, which is often uh, to do with you know, inopportune turnovers from the opposition. Yeah, I mean, we saw a pretty good example of this one uh, in the second quarter where the game was still on. Hawthorne were in the middle of, of making their round. The second quarter was really where they made a move. Uh, they outscored Carlton 51-7 to uh, leading up to halftime. So from the 16 minutes of the first quarter through to halftime, 51-7. to It was pretty remarkable. But we saw a play that was indicative of this. They did highlight it on the broadcast, but I, I thought at the time, wow, that's pretty bold play from Hawthorne. We haven't seen that. Sam Frost came in, took an intercept mark, and he was kind of falling forward after he took the mark, and he released the handball to a running player. And there was a little bit of traffic around, but it was only one handball, and then they were free. And all of a sudden, no player had any time to get back and get the defense set from Carlton. Hawthorne went the length of the field and ended up kicking a goal through Liam Shields. And, and to me, I looked at that and I said, well, geez, I mean, the handball was a little bit risky. There's no doubt about that. But if he had have taken the time to get up, move back, uh, what then, then what's the option? He either goes down the line or he kicks sideways. That's what we've seen Hawthorne do all season long. A little bit of attack, a little bit of dare, and, and it results in a goal in 2020. Like That's how you score. You have to be willing to take a little bit of a risk. I thought that was a, a pretty nice play from Sam Frost. And the other guy I wanted to mention before we move on from this game, Jarman Impey, because we, we've spoken about players. Where's Hawthorne going to get their run from? Who is going to be an attacking player that can show a little bit of flair for the Hawks? Impey's a guy that came in. I, look, he didn't do anything crazy. In, in this game, but look out for him. If he starts to find his feet a little bit, he might be able to be one of those points of difference for them. Yeah, just good to have him back after the injury and getting him back and just does provide that extra run. And we've talked about how their back line's been a bit stagnant and a bit slow and a bit big and getting a guy like Impey back is, is obviously huge, but you're getting you know, performances from, from Warpool and, and having Bruce back, not that he was super impactful, but he still had three shots of goal and kick two and having yeah. that sort of guy who knows, and it's again, that inside 50, knows how to create the space, knows where to get too, and knows how to sort of arrange everybody else, even if it's not him getting on the end of four shots or anything like that or five goals or whatever, but just getting in the right space to open it up for everybody else and then making everyone else aware go, oh, shit, Luke Brewster's behind me. So I've got to go and, and watch that space. Someone else can cut in front. And that is a difference, and it's not always shown up on a, on a stat sheet, but that's the sort of impact that we know that Bruce can have and whether it's coincidental, but he comes back in and everything looks just to, to click a little bit better here for Hawthorne. All right, so uh, this is probably a good time to touch on the light-up because obviously that game has pretty serious implications, particularly for the Blues. I, I've probably been one that, that didn't think that they were going to take the huge step to, to make it in the eight. But I must say, heading into this game, I was like, well, uh, maybe they can make the eight. Maybe they can if they can take advantage of this game against Hawthorne. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't do that and, and lost a bit of percentage as well in the process, which hurts. Now they have West Coast over at Optus Stadium, which you know clearly is going to be a big challenge for them. They get a they get a break though, they get a bye, so they have some time 
to uh, lick their wounds a little bit there and bounce back and try and pick up what would be a hell of an impressive win against West Coast. But I think it's starting to take shape here. When I look at the top eight right now as it stands and you know, there's going to be room for upsets, there's going to be room for ridiculous results here in the next few weeks as teams are playing on four and five day breaks. But I think if I look at the top eight now, the team that I can see coming in, we'll get to them, Collingwood, might be able to slip in. I still think they're way too good to be outside the eight right now. But outside of that, it's looking pretty solid. Yeah, it is. And you have a look at that. So we've got you know, Port, Brisbane, St. Kilda, West Coast, Richmond, Geelong, the Giants and the Bulldogs with Essen and Collingwood, the two teams out, out of that. I'm actually really shocked to see the Bulldogs still in the eight after Wednesday night. We'll see what happens uh, tonight as they take on, on the power. But yeah, I think the uh, yeah, Suns, Blues, Hawks, Kangaroos, I think we can rule a line through majority of those teams with Collingwood probably that one. And maybe Essendon, they do have the game in hand. We, we keep talking about that. So they're, they're probably still in that mix too. So maybe it's a 10-team race at this point. Maybe the Blues can join it to be an 11-team sort of, yeah, I guess, uh, fight. For those eight spots, but it does. It is starting to look a little bit more settled. All right, what do you reckon we talk about Brisbane right now? Because uh, again, and and look, uh, we mentioned it. There was some talk that maybe the Lions were going to be a little bit vulnerable uh, heading into that game. I didn't buy that, and it proved not to be the case. Uh, Essendon's injury list. I mean, if you're going to compare teams' injury list, Essendon's missing as many stars uh, as as any team really across the league. Uh, they get well, absolutely dismantled. Ninety-one. To 28. This was not much of a game, but there was one guy that I wanted to highlight in this in this one. And first of all, at the start of the season, for those that have listened right since episode one, I, I did mention Alex Witherden as a guy that I thought, along with Ollie Florent from Sydney, as two guys that were in the age bracket that typically star players and and all Australian members or all Australian squad members make their their real jump. And I thought that Witherden. And Florent were two guys to watch. Now, Witherden came back. It's only his second game of the season. He had 25 disposals. He was great. He was fantastic. 414 meters gained at 84% disposal efficiency. So he's been stuck in the twos. I, I think he's probably going to be a guy that stays in the team now. But it, as far as all Australian squad members go, he might have been replaced by another young teammate that coming into the season had been in the same game bracket, around 50 games. He had 19 disposals on the weekend. Three goal assists, five tackles. And if I read some of these numbers before I mention a name, he's third in contestant possessions at Brisbane, third in clearances, second in tackles, second in pressure acts, fourth in ground ball gets, fourth in inside 50s. He averages five scoring involvements, a game which ranks elite, and three goals, eight on the season. So maybe he needs to kick a little bit more accurate. But it's Jared Berry. This yep. guy is an outside chance to get in the All-Australian squad of 40 or whatever it is now. Yeah, I think he'd struggle to make the actual team, but you're right, he's been really impactful. And you always love seeing those guys who, who go super hard at it as well. And he's one of those players who can do that, but also you know, back it up with a little bit of a, a bit of a skill, a bit of touch on the outside as well. Hasn't quite been yeah, as effective with his disposal yeah. efficiency as he has in the past. But really, yeah, as you mentioned, the score involvements are huge for him. So he's playing a, a, a massive role there. He's getting some clearances. He's uh, yeah, getting a lot of hard ball, a lot of contested ball, uh, eight, over eight contested a uh, game as well. He's, he's a pretty solid number for a guy who's not their number one or probably number two midfielder. So I, I do agree that he has been really, really strong this season. I'm not sure I'd go to the 40-man squad. I'd like to maybe see a little bit more to, to put him into that class, but his impact in those uh, yeah, goal assists and forward line stuff, another three assists this week with his 19 disposals, taking six grabs, a really impactful player and has been for a majority of the season. 
Well, let me put you on the spot then. And <laughs> I don't know okay. whether you've got I don't know whether you've got the team list in front of you or how quickly you can look through this, but I think you know generally if you see uh, teams that have as much success as the Lions are, and I think they're probably going to finish top two when you take into account that uh, they're going to be staying in Queensland as well. They play really well up there. They're probably going to have four or five guys that are listed in the squad. So yep. Lockie Neal, Harris Andrews, yep. Charlie Cameron yep. uh, are probably the three locks. Jürgen Zorko? May- maybe, but he's missed some games. We'll yeah. see how he finishes the season. Jared Lyons, it, basically all those stats that I mentioned for the clearances, all the midfield uh, statistics, it's Lockie Neal, clear number one, then Jared Lyons, then Jared Berry. So Jared Lyons ha- is also having an underrated season, so he might be a guy to slip in. But that's why I think he might make the squad, because you're going to look at this team and say, well, geez, I mean, they need they need three or four guys in the squad, four or five guys in the squad, and, and Berry might be the one to be rewarded. Is there anyone else? in this Brisbane lineup that you'd throw in there. Cam Rayner, maybe? I mean, I don't know if he's been at that level, but he's been nah, pretty good. He struggled a bit earlier. I was going to say the other yeah, top top draft pick in McCluggage, who was a little yeah. bit down here, but he was really, really good to begin the season. So he might be the other one that we that we look at as being an option there. He's averaging, what, 18 disposals a game uh, this season with an assist, you know, four inside 50s over two clearances. So he might be the other one that... But yeah, it's, it's not outrageous to think that Berry could be in yeah. that mix if this team does finish top two, top three, and he is a key contributor right across the rest of the season. I think he'd be on that borderline. I'd have him along sort of with McCluggage there, and I could easily be swayed either way. Yeah, I, again, it's just a reminder when you watch this Brisbane team, and geez, they're, they're so entertaining to watch, but... Uh, there's some names there that I, I think a lot of footy fans would just be like, who are you talking about? Like they, they're not star started. Like you would expect a, a team that's going to be contending for a premiership. I mean, maybe they are in Queensland and I, I don't think that this is Victorian, you know, biased by saying this though, but you just need to watch them. And there's so many unheralded players that don't get uh, the respect they deserve. They're super even. And uh, again, we mentioned the, the age demographic a, a couple of weeks ago here. They're young. I mean, they don't look like a team that's going to be going anywhere for a while. And Charlie Cameron, didn't commit New to deal. the Lions as well. Yeah. Yep. New deal for Cameron. So he's going to be around a while. And this is a team, again, that you look at and go, well, they can get better. Like They can actually keep improving yeah. over the next two to three years as well. So that's, that's going to be huge for them to be able to yeah, build on what they've done last season, this season. And it wasn't a, uh, hey, this is a one-season fluke a la Melbourne. They've built mm-hmm. on it. And you go, well, now I can see this happening for the next two to three, four years maybe and with continual improvement. They're a real, real shot at it this year. All right. So last week's rising star nominee, Caleb Sarong from Fremantle. I thought that he really backed up a, an exceptionally strong performance against the yeah. Cats. It was it was funny. He he was the one that got the job on Patrick Dangerfield. And I heard him in an interview. I'm going to say it was on 360. Uh, he was talking about getting that assignment. So that Geelong-Fremantle game was on Monday. And he found out on Friday, he said that he was going to be going to Dangerfield. And yep. he said he had a couple of sleepless nights and he was really nervous about playing on a player like him. And I, I think that that was nice insight into a young guy uh, going up against you know a guy that he's watched you know probably at home for the last five years, tear apart midfields. He did just a tremendous job on, on Dangerfield. And geez, he stepped it up again yesterday against the Pies. Yeah, that's the thing. Well, he was nominated last week and then had a better game. He had 24 disposals yeah. against Collingwood. Um, and that's just that's the 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 baseline of what he did. Nine clearances, 
That's a huge number. Three rebound 50s, two inside 50s. He leads rising stars, the regular rising stars in terms of possessions per game. I'm not including Matt Rowell here. Uh, I'm not including uh, Louis Butler or Charlie Constable because they've only played the two games, not regulars in their team. Of the guys who have been playing yeah, majority games, it's Sarong, then Noah Anderson, Jai Caldwell, Jackson Haitley. Like they are the top four in terms of disposals, which is not, of course, the be-all and end-all, but he's been really, really huge. And going from a role where you are a shutdown-ish sort of a player over uh, or on Dangerfield and then, see being more unleashed against Collingwood, you go get the ball. And yes, really achieving fantastic results in a big comeback win against a really good team and against a really strong midfielder. Yes, minus Pendlebury, but it added side bottom. That's massive for him. And I think that when we know that Rao's out of it, it's a really wide open rising star um, group of kids here. And if this form continues, he's got to be right in the mix. Yeah, he does. I mean, two stats. You mentioned the clearances, nine clearances. So that was second on the ground, only behind David Mundy, who had 10. Uh, the other Fremantle player there in the top three, Nat Fife with eight. So he sandwiched in between two of the greats of, yeah. of Fremantle. But not only was he second on the ground for clearances, he was second on the ground for tackles with six as well. I mean, this, this is not a number that, you know, typically they, they don't go together that often because you're either winning the clearances or you're playing that defensive style and getting the tackles around the clearances. He does both, which is typically the sign of a pretty damn uh, influential midfielder, as he's proving to be. Uh, we'll see. I, I don't know whether the, the young bodies are going to be more suited to the shorter breaks or their first season in AFL, they're going to wear down a little bit. But the body of work that he's had from last Monday through to Sunday in a, a six-day break, not the worst. Uh, but I, I think to back up that performance, in the wet with that one last night again. Uh, yes, there was no Penelbury in that Collingwood midfield, but a mature, uh, elite group of players, Brody Grundy in the ruck, obviously. It was super impressive. And again, I, I just keep saying it, but the word that I keep thinking about with Fremantle was competitive. I, I saw a, a lot of commentary on Twitter about their style of play. And again, yes, it was a little bit defensive from Longmuir and the, the Dockers were able to just hang in the game, hang in the game, hang in the game. But I think we've seen uh, it's allowed them to play with a little bit more freedom going back the other way and attacking with the footy, they, they look pretty dangerous. So it, it's it's tough for me to really fault Longmuir for going down this path and playing this style of footy. It's not the most attractive, and we didn't see a lot of goals, particularly in the first half, but it opened up in the second half a little bit. And I think Fremantle learned from last week that you can't go 100% defensive. You have to give yourself a chance to score. You can't just completely shut the gate as they did the week before. Dry conditions this week, obviously, but... Uh, look, that, that's a that's a big win for them. It's a big win for them. And they're going to take, not only do they get the four points themselves, but I'm sure they'll take a little bit of pride out of denting the pies uh, a little bit, who, uh, listen, once again, had another rough weekend off the field. Yeah, they uh, they sure did. Um, the interesting thing with, with Fremantle and that style, as we talked about it last week, is that they did a certain thing in the first half and then made adjustments. Yeah. And again, making those adjustments on the fly is really you know, a good sign for a young group and a young coach who can make those adjustments to turn things around. And while they didn't get a win against Geelong, but they turned things around and they looked better in the second half. And then they come home and storm home here over Collingwood in the final quarter to, to get a really surprising victory against a team that really should be closing those games out. So to be able to change what you're doing and adjust and maybe just you know, just sort of sit back and absorb early on and then try and run over teams, maybe that's the idea here. And it absolutely worked out here. And I think Sarong, you know, just back to him, we talked about the last two games. I think it started for me maybe at the end of that St. Kilda game. He took a massive grab late, contested about 
25, 30 meters out, kicked a goal in that in what was their first win. You got okay, that's something. And then he's moved from there, and he played forward in the the derby against West Coast well majority of that game, and then moved into the midfield. So it didn't take long for that uh, apprenticeship, that up forward apprenticeship, to sort of be over. But he looked he looked the goods in that first game with a really strong contested mark late in that fourth quarter, and then uh, and then pushed it forward over the next uh, or over the last two weeks. All right, so round nine is over. Round ten starts in literally a few hours. So I, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do here over the next few weeks. I don't think we need to go into full previews of games every single uh, night because the the games are going to be over by by the time a lot of people get to listen to the podcast. But Dogs Port Adelaide again, really fascinating game. Port Adelaide, we know the top of the ladder, and Bulldogs they need to sort their shit out a little bit. Yeah. They've been up and down, up and down, up and down. Uh, tonight's a night where. Let's be honest, we spoke about the eight. We spoke about the fact that, you know, Collingwood upset. Bulldogs would have been out of the eight. So they can't mess around here. We know their percentage took a real hit. Not only can they not afford to lose, they just cannot afford to get beaten handily here. Yeah, the Bulldogs need to win this game. And they are strengthened by the return of Josh Dunkley, who is, of course, one of their elite midfielders. Who is uh, had been dealing with that ankle injury, so he's back. Aaron Norton won't be back this week, but he looks like he could be returning soon. So the Bulldogs cop some injuries early on, but it looks to be easing easing those guys back in now, which is uh, which is great news. And that is, you know, when Port loses Ebert and the Bulldogs gain Dunkley, you know which direction that arrow points the the selection changes, and that doesn't necessarily mean anything in terms of how the game's gonna gonna pan out. But I think historically the Bulldogs have done decently well against Port. They, I think they I believe they beat them in Adelaide last last season. Um, and they they need this one, and the Bulldogs have bounced back. You know, they had that bad loss against St Kilda after the restart, bounce back the next week, bad loss against Carlton, bounce back the next week against Essendon, so they need to do it again, because if they don't, then that grip on that eighth spot is going to be loose, and they could find themselves in real trouble. Yeah, true home ground advantage again in this one. Port Adelaide, we're playing at Adelaide over in front of a bunch of fans. Let me ask you about Jackson Trengove, because uh, it's interesting that he was omitted here. I, I actually... Look at the the Bulldogs lineup, and I, I don't mind the the balance here with the with the team. Anyway, you've got Alex Keith and Zane Cordy down back uh, up forward. We know Josh Bruce, and then they play a little bit a smaller up forward. Anyway, uh, Trengove, a surprise to you that he was dropped? Not really. I don't think he did a huge amount last week. It was a weird selection. He was a late inclusion inclusion for Cody Waitman last week. Yeah. He played exclusively in the ruck, and that limited Tim English's impact. So whether that yep. was just we need to give English a a rest and play him a little bit out of the midfield for a game, sort of a half-resting situation. But Trengove isn't needed as a key position backman at this point because, as you said, Keith and Cordy are better than him at those roles at this point. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the other guys like your Daniels and Croziers and Williams and Wood who are you know, providing that back that back six option. So Trengove you know, came across a couple of seasons ago, has really struggled to cement himself. I don't think he's really a ruckman and him playing in the ruck took English out of that role, which I think was not a positive thing for the Bulldogs and you know, English couldn't get into the game at all. So um, it's not a surprise to me that he is on the way out because he's not needed as a key backman. And if you're going to run the one ruckman, I think English should be able to get a hold of Laddams, hopefully in this one from a Bulldogs perspective. It just doesn't sort of fit in with what we need. And we talk about not going too big. That would be the the, uh, the option there of, of moving that big man out and getting some smaller guys in. All right, so one other change for Port Adelaide. Trent McKenzie comes in. He's been important for their back line. Again, this is a game between a team that loves to handball and a team that loves to kick. So it's going to be entertaining to see how these these two teams work through this and how this plays out. But as we said, huge implications for the Bulldogs. Uh, you know, tough opponents, a couple of tough weeks in a row. We know this compressed schedule for them is is really difficult. So 
Uh, they need to find a way to win tonight. And let me, before we wrap this up, let me let me tell you a success story from one of our sponsors. I don't know how many of the listeners listen to the Manscaped digital, <laughs> digital ad read, but I don't listen to it so much. And, and it was pointed out to me, you've heard me talk about my friend York, he pointed out to me the Manscaped digital insert. So I had to listen to the ad. And it's pretty in your face. This ad does not mess around. You know exactly what it's talking about. And we were having a good laugh. It's pretty effective advertising <clears throat> because Yug got home the other day. He showed his girlfriend this ad. Got home the other day and he had the lawnmower 3.0. Now can now can actually ship to Australia. We're sitting there on the bench for him. So it's a good news story for, for everyone around. I mean, it's, it's a, a shout-out to Manscaped, honestly. When he sent me the photo, I, I, I could not believe it. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, great news. Great news for, for him and his partner. It's a great way to uh, end the show, Kane. Thank you. <laughs> thank you again for joining me or coming together for another Locked On AFL episode. Guys, you can subscribe Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Yug's Balls. <laughs>